as an artist today, it's not just about DJing. It's not just about producing music, which two, two both things are so different anyway. But it's about, you know, understanding the legal aspects, understanding your mm. finances. It's that, you know, the graphic design, the press, like it's you have to wear 20 different hats. And somewhere within that, a small part of it is actually being a musician. Um, so I think part of it is also, you know, when you do have a favorite artist or you support or you see someone that you like, just just support them, go and buy their track because it really makes the world of difference. Welcome back to the Kelly Goomber podcast. I'm your host, business mentor, personal brand and style expert on a personal mission to inspire a minimum of five people a day to take action, just to do something different and show up as the best person that they aspire to be. Keep all your messages coming on Instagram. That's where I have the immediate response and I'm able to communicate with everyone that messages and said, I love this episode or I did this today because I heard one of your guests said that. So keep in touch, keep them coming and thank you for being one of my five a day. So who are we speaking to today? Well, today is Farah Nanji. Now she's the founder of Regents Racing, which is all about a business exploring leadership lessons from Formula One. Now her goal is to elevate, inspire and empower human mindsets through her experiences of being a journalist, an entrepreneur, a DJ and a TEDx speaker. And it's really interesting because she was diagnosed with dyspraxia, which I hadn't heard of. So we learn a little bit about that in this episode. And this happened during her teenage years. And it's a a developmental coordination disorder that affects around 5% of the world's population. Now, what Farah's done is turn her perceived weaknesses into sort of innovation and entrepreneurism and created her own sort of, her own unique processes that really, that she relies heavily, interestingly, on for music and motorsports, you know, that sort of motor coordination. So she talks about that in detail in her TEDx talk and today on the Kelly Lumber podcast. So lots of lessons to be learned in this episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Farah. It's great to have you. Looking forward to hearing more about your aspects in business, podcasting. We have motorsports and we have music. Quite a vast difference. Do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners and give us a little bit of a backstory? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Kelly, for, for having me today. Um, it's a pleasure to join you as well. So yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm sort of in three industries, as you as you mentioned there, music, motorsport, and actually podcasting as well. Um, and they all sound extremely different and they and they are very different, um, mm-hmm. but, they, but primarily music and motorsport stemmed from, you know, from childhood um, and really discovering what gave me, I guess, healing from, you know, tough environments growing up in, in, in London. Um, I went to a school that was extremely pressurized. I was at the top 10 in the country at the time. And, um, and, and I was, I was kind of bullied there. I was, you know, a tomboy, it was an all girls school. So, you know, playing football, going karting, these weren't the sort of typical things that, you know, um, (laughs) my, my peers like to do. And, I remember, you know, when I was when I was really young and I sat in a go-kart for the first time. And for anyone who's ever been in a go-kart, it's quite an unforgettable experience. It's a sort of out of mind body, out of mind body type of, you know, experience. And for me, um, you know, you put your helmet on and nobody really knows who you are. It's really about you and the track and the rhythm that you develop, you know, with the track. And obviously there's a lot of adrenaline and speed. And I was just hooked um, you know, instantly on 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 that. 
And uh, and I just took a love for it and I started kind of going deeper into it, which many years later took me to the roads that I'm sort of pursuing today. Um, and music also kind of had a similar sort of story where, you know, in that environment, um, I was learning Spanish guitar. And, and for me, I looked forward so much during school to kind of, you know, escape a lesson for a bit and go up and play the Spanish guitar with um, with this with this teacher. And uh, and it really gave me, the, you know, an insight into the healing powers of music. And many years later, you know, that led me again to the type of music I produce, play today is is heavily inspired by the Balearic regions, um, you know, the gypsy flamenco scales, you know, which which I know for sure came from seven or eight years old learning um, the Spanish guitar. <laughs> um, so that that's kind of been, you know, where did the interest come from? And and I guess, you know, of course, as as you navigate through life, you know, you sort of have to pick which one do you devote yourself to? And I'm sure we'll, we'll touch upon that. But um, but I'm equally passionate about about both and and podcasting sort of came about as, you know, an interesting way to kind of talk about these industries, which are so unique in themselves that have, you know, almost a similar mindset to succeed towards being driven to perfection. The industry is being quite difficult to navigate. Um, and I thought it'd be, you know, really interesting to sort of start a show around um, interviewing people about sort of in those paths. Was the motorsport was motorsports the first interest that you took really seriously was it music or you know did you take the motorsports into professional or how, how did that happen sure I'd say music came first in terms of like actually learning um the instruments yeah because I was like literally seven or eight although you do p- people who've made it into Formula One they've started karting at like five but I discovered karting around 12 the thing about motorsports is that to make it as your career as a driver, it is, you know, there are only 22 F1 drivers in, you know, in the world, 20 or 22. Um, and I think 800 in total in the, in the last hundred years. So, you know, it's, it's an extremely it's a really niche sport. business, it, <laughs> a niche job. Yes, uh, absolutely. And it's not the type of thing where, you know, you can pick up a football and just go to the park and, you know, kick around a ball. It's, you know, it requires a significant amount of investment to actually, you know, go after that passion. So for me, I started competing in karting. But when it started getting towards, you know, sort of six figures to actually be able to compete, because yeah. that is, you know, once you get to like Formula 3, it's it's a million or so per season. Um, you know, I realized that this, you know, this wasn't going to, I couldn't do that. My parents can fund that for me. But, you know, it, I never really lost sight of it because then I, I just shifted my goalpost. I kind of, um, in university, discovered a way to actually go deeper into motorsport in a different way, more through events, more through what I'd learned, you know, p- performing at your peak for all those years and how actually that made me quite, um, you know, that, that, that sort of had an impact on the people I was working with that had, a, you know, it kind of has a you where you're quite young when you're in that sport and you're 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 you have a lot of responsibility and you have to talk with a lot of people and you know understand a lot of cultures um and i i just sort of found this really interesting way to kind of explore that let's say the business lessons of the sport and bring that to a more kind of corporate audience ah so maybe let's touch on a couple of those um business lessons from motorsports like what would you say um because i've interviewed interestingly also a couple of um Olympic athletes, Paralympic um, athletes. And it's amazing how much you can transfer these skills into business. Like it's it's pretty much similar, just changing the goalpost slightly. What would you say were, were yours? 100%. I think, you know, all sports, you know, prime at the end and the end of the day have the same sort of foundation about what are those skills that you can 
can sort of take across. And some sports will go deeper into particular aspects. For example, if we look at motorsports, you know, it's such a technological, advanced technological environment. Mm. It's like a moving R&D lab for companies who get involved in the sport um, to test, you know, to test technology at the absolute limit on the racetrack. You know, that that's why companies sponsor Formula One for hundreds of millions of dollars, because they can't, there's, there's no environment like it to test out, you know, um, a product or service. So, Obviously, motorsport, I'd say, you know, can probably speak to an audience a little bit more about that digital transformation, that change, because it's constantly innovating. It's creating technologies for our world. Even, you know, um, when it comes down to sustainability, people sometimes don't realize actually Formula One and motorsport has a huge part to play in actually creating a more sustainable world with the kind of energy and the different sort of breakthroughs that they discover um, you know, for creating cleaner energy and things like that. So that's really interesting. So we talk a lot about that. We talk about, um, again, you know, the sustainability aspect of it. Um, but then we go, you know, quite deep into peak performance and how do you get your team to not only get into that sort of peak performance flow state, but also sustain that. Because if you imagine Formula One, you know, you've got um, however many races throughout the calendar, at least 60 to 70% of the year, you're traveling around the world. Yeah, It's relentless. You've got millions of people watching you, scrutinizing you, um, your performance and your team's performance. And, you know, on a race day, you've got a thousand people in your team, most of whom are remote um, in another country. And obviously a few, a few of whom are, are out there on the ground, but everyone's communicating at the same time. So there's a lot to be said about, you know, like when you look at the sport, even the pit stop, that they they go under a huge analysis of their, you know, their sort of um, their their like what do they eat, their nutrition, you know, every sort of piece of the puzzle has been designed around them when they actually make that one point two second pit stop. Um, so we talk a lot about how can you kind of achieve that optimal flow state and basically empower your teams, you know, whilst you're doing that. And of course, a lot of that again, comes down to communication because, again, you know, in Formula One, nothing can afford to get lost in translation. You know, it could, we could be talking about a million dollar mistake if, if a wrong signal is sent, you know, um, to a driver or to a team. Um, so that pressure, understanding um, how to sort of communicate powerfully in this pressurized environment, the emotional intelligence skills that you need um, for negotiation, of course, that's incredibly important. So these are some of the things that we that we do. We do a lot of workshops with people in Formula One who sort of take those lessons, we sort of take them out as case studies, uh, we put them into the environment, we also, you know, of course, um, integrate the driving aspect into it as well, because then you can really feel like what is what it's like. And yeah, so I'd say those are some of the sort of the interesting lessons, right? And I suppose we- when you take it out, if people haven't run a business before, but if you can, or, or, or if they're new at it, but if they can equate it to something that's tangible that they've seen or that you can experience then I don't know I guess it would just make a lot more sense quicker Mm, yeah and there's no better way to learn than by doing right yeah so yeah yeah, absolutely I'm a huge advocate for that as well so so where does the music part come into this so you you bring in and I know you're very passionate about both when I asked you in the pre-record you 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 said that there isn't one you preferred over the other is that right yes 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 but so how does that come into it and and you know the aspect of you know motorsports and 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 focusing on that is one thing but doing two things three things you know how do you balance it all yeah 100 percent. so I, I do believe that you do 
you know, you need, do you need to be extremely good and, 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 and sort of master one before you move, move on to the next. Mm. Um, in my case, I, I suppose, you know, I was sort of one of those students in university who already was doing what I loved. So it kind of gave me a head start because I basically started DJing at the age of about 18 in my gap year. I basically learned how to do it. I've been going out in London, you know, obviously great city for music and all of that stuff. And actually a lot of my friends were DJs. So I was in my spare time, I was always around, you know, sort of like around that. And one day I just decided, you know, because the reason I was friends with a lot of these um, DJs was because I was just always known as like the person who also always had like interesting sounds. Like I just always loved collecting music. And particularly we had, you know, the, the, the sort of boom of the internet, you know, um, and that, of course, like opened up all these doors around. It's no longer about going to like HMV and like listening to CDs. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's so much. There's, so, there's a whole world out there that you can discover and Spotify and like all these great things. So, you know, for me, yeah, I, I started DJing when I was young. When I was at university, um, I, I basically I, the way I managed to do both was um, I had residencies in London. So on my weekends, I'd be DJing, you know, and, and basically creating um, a following, you know, sort of having a place where you can have an audience to come down and like regularly hear you is like so important. Um, but at the and same time, earning I, a living, the I guess as well, that was, that's part and parcel of you. What that was your, where you, you were earning money because the formula one, the formula sporting world, you weren't earning money. I imagine unless you're in that space. Exactly. Yeah. And there's no money competing in motorsport until you literally get to formula one. So definitely, you know, well, the money wasn't coming from there. So yes, it, it, having the DJ income was, it was, was, you know, it was definitely a nice uh, lifeline, you know, yeah. um, whilst at university. Um, but I, that was where I, I basically started this motorsport society at the same time. And that, that became a place for me to kind of go deeper into this idea of like businesses, uh, motorsport leadership um, and events, because I was studying um, business, global business management and um, the university that I went to, 90% of our students were international. So they'd never really been to the British countryside, <laughs> you know, um, zone one was like literally all they knew in London. And of course, you know, motorsports is a huge part of our heritage here in the UK. So you've got all these, you know, Formula One factories, manufacturers. Um, and I was basically organizing these weekends where we would go, we would, you know, get a tour of McLaren or we would, you know, we would do things like learning how to drift with the, like the, the crew of Fast and Furious. Um, so it was really, really fun. And it was, you know, of course, it was tough to balance your education with that as well. Um, and and what, what I sort of did next was, you know, when I graduated, I, I was always faced with this kind of issue of like, well, which one is it? Does it have to be one? And oh, that's really interesting, because I guess people get confused at that point. And they're like, oh, which one should I pick? Or how should I pick? Or where do you go? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And because I knew when I started at university, I, I, I had a very long-term vision with it. And I, and I knew that I wanted to make it into a business. However, I didn't feel at the age of like 22, 23, it was the right time for me to start a business. Because I think, you know, that age, I think, you know, you do need to learn from other people. Um, you need to learn from other companies. So I, I kind of like, I put that, you know, on pause for a bit. And I, and the, the way, I, I guess I kind of also went where the wind was taking me um, and where the wind was taking me at that time when I graduated, um, I, I had the opportunity to do an internship as a music journalist in Ibiza for four months straight after graduating, like May, you know, two days after I finished my, mm -hmm. my exams, I was like on a plane for four months. And 
you know, to learn the music industry as a journalist over there is like the absolute deep end because the island doesn't stop. It's just constantly going. And people are, you know, out there, they're extremely happy. Like it's, it's, it, it was really interesting. My first interview was with Pete Tong, you know, I mean, I was really in the deep end, but um, I also thrive under the deep end. So yeah, and I and I suppose for five years after that moment, um, I my 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 music career took off, and uh, and of course there was a lot of hard work. It didn't just sort of you know just blow up or anything like that. It was like you know a lot of work. But being a journalist was very strategic. And I love I love interviewing people. I love hearing stories. I love showcasing th- things that you may not hear about um, in the music industry. And and um, and I suppose those things just led me to like basically DJing, producing music, writing about music for five or six years straight. And I and I devoted my life to it for those years. At the same time, I kind of had my pulse on motorsport because I was DJing for motorsports brands. So I would be DJing at like Goodwood Festival of Speed. I DJed at the Abu Dhabi Formula One quite a few times. You know, so I was always sort of like still connected to the industry in a, in a different mm. way. And that was kind of, I guess, how how it happened. And and then I and then I sort of reached um, almost my thirties, and I knew that at that point I'd learned so much through those five six years um, that I knew it was then the right time to sort of, you know, put a pause, like not put a pause, but just wind down a little bit the DJ because also that lifestyle is extremely grueling. I mean, I was I was on the road every two weeks, you know, um, for five or six years straight. It was absolutely crazy, and having this time with COVID you know, is, is put a pause on that life. And it, yeah, it's, 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 it makes you reevaluate, you know, how much do you want to be traveling all the time? Right. And so it kind of came about at the right time where I then, you know, picked up what I'd started with motorsport and, and made it into a business. And kind of come back that way. I'm interested to touch on that um, aspect. There was a few things about the, the music. I remember going to HMV to buy my first ever CD. <laughs> you know, it's like when you mentioned that, it was like it brought back so many memories. But the whole DJing aspect, I mean, you, your days are your nights and your nights are your days and you're on completely different time zones, literally from everyone else. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, it's tough going. I'm really interested to know then how you've taken the steps to make your interests and your passions into a business now. So you touched earlier mm. on sort of doing workshops and with um, corporate organizations. Maybe talk to me through a little bit about the the business model that you have now. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, for me, I, I know that 100% the first biggest step I took was was doing this in university because that pressure point is sort of taken away where it, like uh, when you when you decide to do this full time, obviously, then you really have to figure it out. You know, um, you, you can't afford to make any mistakes. Um, in that sense, I mean, you obviously you'll make mistakes, but like yeah. it's just it's just you know when you're doing it in university, there's just less of a of a pressure. And so for me, that that those two three years, um, they they provided an enormous training ground. That was where I picked up the skills of Photoshop. You know, I I, I went and learned how to design websites. You know, I just started training myself in like because the society grew organically. At first, it was never meant to be this huge thing, but it became this huge thing. So then I was like, well, it has to be serious. It has to have a logo. It has to have a website to have all the things that you know a business obviously does and because I was studying business at the same time then I was like writing my coursework about the business that I was then running so it allowed me to again to go deeper into certain aspects of running businesses so obviously that was really important but to then I guess you know you know with, with business of course you have to sort of play around and figure out what is the business model um you know what is it that people are willing to pay a premium for or whatever your price mm-hmm. point is 
and what is the buy-in and how do you translate that message um, you know, to people? And I think in the beginning, I didn't want to take investment because I wanted to build out a proof of concept and really get that going. And I think for me, you know, there's pros and cons to that because the, the pro was like, I was the one who learned about so many different aspects. So when people come to work for you in, in a particular field, you like if you're, you know, I, because I've designed a website, I now know that if I'm going to work with a web designer, I, I hopefully I'll make their life easier. But um, I'll also know when someone's sort of, you know, taking the mickey a little bit. There's always, always, you know, there's always cowboys out there, right? And yeah. they'll always try and charge you 20 times more if they know that you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I do think that that's really important. And the tools are out there, you know, even, even Photoshop, like now we Canva, Wix, all of these tools are, are really easy to use. And I think for me now, after that, we're sort of just thinking a lot, a lot of market research, you know, a lot of like talking to my target audience, like what would be the things that, what are the struggles that their organization is facing? Mm. What, how could we help them solve that problem? At the end of the day, a business has to help you solve a problem um, and, and meet a need. And um, and that's kind of, you know, what, what we did. And it, I, I was lucky enough to have at least a year or so where I was really allowed to just spend that in research in research mode and not just jump straight into it um, and really, you know, fine tune what the offering is and also find the right people that could represent this business um, in terms of the facilitators um, into, and, and getting them to sort of design the the ideas with me. And and that's kind of how it's it's really manifested itself, I'd say. So what are the what are your core offerings that you you would actually offer a business? Is it consultancy? Is it coaching? Is it workshops? Is it all of the above? It's really, um, you know, it's, it's it's essentially an executive retreat and it's like ah, a pop-up okay. retreat yeah. that, you know, um, that, you know, a company will say, look, we'll, we'll give them a, you know, menu of sort of our workshops. There's about eight of them. Mm-hmm. And as, then they sort of, you know, range from managing the peak performance um, or sustaining that peak performance, how to manage risk, digital transformation, um, communication, all those different topics. They pick, you know, the ones that speak to them. And then from there, they decide, you know, do we want one day? Do we want three days? Do we want five days? Five days is really the maximum. But of course, if, if they wanted like all eight, of course, that can't happen in five days. So they would then be spread throughout the year at, at various different weekend points. And then they also choose, um, you know, with that workshop, is there a sort of driving or sort of experience that they want with it? Yeah. And then that, of course, adds on, you know, extra time. Um, yeah, there's quite a lot of interesting driving that we do, like, there's a there's one that we do that always gets the that always gets the um the the let's say the interest but it's it's basically um, blind driving with Land Rover um, and that is really really great for our communications workshop because uh, when you take away sight it literally is all about your communication um, and you're sitting with your co-pilot who can see your co-pilot can see but you have a blindfold on and your co-pilot has to say like you know, turn the wheel 20 degrees or 10 o'clock or something. And <laughs> <laughs> it's quite exciting. And you literally, you'll go in deep waters, you know, because of course, off-roading is like, is all about that, you yeah, know, sort of, of going up steep ascents, deep waters and ob- obstacles. It's all done extremely safely in a military controlled site with Land Rover. Um, so it's purpose-built, you know, for all that stuff. Um, so it's and not so, like yeah, you can then, go off-roading and get lost or crash into someone else and cause a hazard. Like it, it's totally <laughs> um, controlled in that sense. It, it's totally controlled. And you're not really going more than like 20, 30 miles an hour. So it's not like, you know, you're not, it's not, you're not going crazy fast. Oh, it sounds amazing. Um, I'd love to try something like that. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine, you know, especially people who, you know, not all people in the corporate team are, are going to be people who like driving. So for some people, it really is 
you know, an absolute out of their comfort zone. And I think life is about that. It's about testing your comfort zone. That, that is the essence of our company is about, you know, taking some of these principles of going out of your comfort zone, because at the end of the day, great things never came from a comfort zone. So when you put yourself in that extreme environment, imagine, you know, what it can sort of do for your team and how exciting it can be. And, and also foster this sort of team spirit. And particularly now when, you know, when we we're heading to a world, which is remote working and, yeah. You know, in some ways, this is such a great play, a way to like learn who is on your team, know them in a deeper way, which you may not always get the chance now. You may not always be in the office with them as well. So that's those are kind of some of the uh, the things that we do. So interesting. And I love this concept, pop up retreat. Mm. I haven't heard that before. So is that con? I mean, I'm familiar with pop up shops and I get all that yeah. from the fashion world. So pop up retreat being something that would happen within their business or it's just it's not at a spa type thing is that how would you determine pop-up retreat yeah sure so it's called a pop-up retreat because it can take place in a few different locations so primarily you know the home of formula one and all that is silverstone so it's a pop-up because we basically create this environment in a beautiful countryside hotel for a few days and then they also get to go to like the red bull f1 factory and like a few other places okay um, but then also if they wanted to go, for example, to another part of, um, let's say Goodwood, which is the other side, the other part of the UK, it's nowhere near Silverstone, then it sort of pops up there. There's a hotel experience and um, there's an aerobatic flying school there. So if that was the experience that they wanted to do, then that would be essentially where mm. they would where they would do it. Um, but everything is just sort of, you know, created for that one for that one experience in that one weekend. And then it obviously it disappears after that. Oh, interesting. I really love that concept. Um just on a side note, um, favorite Formula One track? Favorite Formula One track? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say Monza, and it's actually this probably interview will probably be out after it, but it's the Monza F1 coming up soon. It's such a beautiful track um, and steeped in Italian history. <laughs> and and who's on par to win um, this year? Who do you think is going to win the title? Because it's pretty it's close, am t- I not right? It's 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 quite close. It is extremely close, and I. I I am a Lewis ultimate Lewis fan, um, but but I do have a feeling that Max is going to get his first world championship this year. He's his performance has been phenomenal, and I don't know if you know this, but he, Lewis got COVID last year, and um, just before the summer break, um, there's he was sort of you know you could see that he was still he has long COVID basically. So uh. I feel like his um, he is being affected his performance on track as well. Ah, no, I mean, I haven't seen any recently and, and it's been a few years since I've watched it. But now and again, my ears sort of prick up when I hear, I think there was quite, was it last weekend? Oh, no, just Sunday. They are gone. I think yeah. they were talking about um, it was quite close because had someone knocked someone off a track or something at the weekend? Had there not been a crash or in the training or the not training? What is it you call it when they do it beforehand? Oh, yeah, the qualifying practice. Yes, um, yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> Well, it's been it's been a funny one the last two weeks because it was summer break and then the first one that came back, you know, it was at Spa in Belgium in August and you know middle of August, you know, you're expecting sunshine um, and it was torrential rain, so it was just uh, it was an absolute circus of a performance. Um, they did two laps before they called it the end of the race. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just yeah, it was not safe. Um, but you know, George Russell got pod- um, got podium, so that was you know just really exciting because. He's a Williams driver. His car's like number 17 on the pack out of like performance. So to be on the podium, um, you know, is fantastic. Um, and then the one that just went, it was at Zandervoort, which um, is in the Netherlands. And Max being a Dutch driver, 
it was just carnage there. It was like the, the entire circuit was just in orange because that's like his color and all of yeah. his fans wear orange. <laughs> so it was like an army of orange and, um, you know, and he won, you know, and it was the first time the race had been there since over 30 years. So for a Dutch driver to be on pole to win the Dutch Grand Prix, it was oh, uh, obviously it's like homecoming. Your your home yeah. homecoming king and homecoming king in in your in your sporting um, mm. field. Um, I have a little question based on, I guess, what you've been doing. So we've talked about the business aspect, and I, I I'd love yeah. to finish on the personal branding piece because I think mm. that's something that, from what I've read, from what I've seen. I don't know whether you've done it consciously, subconsciously, but I guess during most of your 20s, you were building Mm. your personal brand, maybe without realizing it to the point of now you've got a business or now it's actually a business. But there's Mm -hmm. so much about you as a personal brand. You've done a TEDx talk. Maybe talk a little bit about that and then share what your TEDx talk was about and how that came about. Yeah, it's it's a great interesting question. I think um, as an artist, you know, I've realised that it extends beyond music. There is creativity that um, I find flows through me when it comes to designing things. When it comes to um, yeah, really having a lot of fun with like how I want something to be presented. And my surname is Nanji, and I I, I was always called Ninja when I was growing up um, <laughs> as a child, and uh, and I loved you know the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, I love the whole like concept of like, you know, warrior mindset and all of that stuff. So when I was thinking about like being a, uh, what should my DJ name be? It, it just was like, it just was like, you know what? Yes, there are a lot of DJ ninjas out there, but no one's done it in a cool way. Like you'll see really tacky stuff. You know, you'll see, I've seen some girls who are, they call themselves that and they're wearing, you know, almost nothing. And they're using that to like kind of advance themselves, which is just so not, you know, that that's not what music is about at the end of the day. No, it's, it's not, not what business know, not is about, about in my eyes either. <laughs> either. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So I was like, you know, I think that, you know, this whole thing is a vibe at the end of the day. Whenever you come to any of my events, it, it's a vibe, you know, it's it's about an experience. It's about all of the senses, you know, um, and going beyond that. And I guess, I guess, in you know, it's been an evolution from the beginning of like when, it all sort of started and how did I want to paint that? And then as I got better with my skill set in terms of creating and and things like that, I, I was just able to put that pen to paper quite quite nicely and just just make it happen, just design it myself, I guess. But I'd say the aesthetics are kind of like sort of minimalism, but then in, with a little bit of like tribal sort of, um, mm. you know, kind of things um, as well, because my roots stemmed in East Africa as well. So a little... A little bit of that. Um, so yeah, I think personal branding is a great question. And I, I think now now that you know, I've built out a few different brands and they all have a very distinct identity and they don't have the same color palette or anything. They're all totally different. And yeah, I think it's just, you know, going, uh, being an, inspired by your environment as well. That I think that's that's extremely in, important and and sort of picking the colors that speak to you and things like that. So yeah, and, I hope and, that answers your question. No, sure, no, but. it does. No, it was just because everyone's got a different perspective to their personal branding, but it's something that, mm. you know, from seeing what you've done, you've got your own page, which is your DJ, producer, journalist, TEDx speaker, and then you've got your business page, mission makers mm. as well. Um, so yep. there's clear that there is two brands because one of the questions I always get asked is, well, should I have just a business page or should I have just my page? And you have two distinct pages because you've built a personal brand within the motor industry and within the the music industry and now podcasting but also on that you're speaking on other people's podcasts 
and they said you've done this, uh, you did a TEDx talk. So I'm always fascinated mm. by people who've done TEDx talks only because mm. I think it is a great platform of mm. um, credibility, um, mm. you know, authenticity, because often you speak about something that is personal to you and, you know, people get to see that real aspect of you. So how did that come about in your situation? Absolutely, yes. Um, I, I 100% agree with everything you said there, and um, and I and I get asked that say that question. It was how does it how did it happen? Um, and uh, for me, it was kind of organic. And I think my you know I love that because I am about sort of organic growth and and all of that stuff, and just not forcing something. You know, letting it just happen for when it's meant to happen for you. There's a great quote by Rumi, which is like, "What you seek is seeking you." And I think I really I really kind of pull back to that all the time with that quote. But yeah, well, I was one day DJing in Luxembourg for Women's Day, International Women's Day. And um, basically this lady was in the audience and she sort of came up to me and we started talking and she really loved the whole motorsport music thing. And she told me she worked for the Luxembourgish uh, Ministry of Education or something, I think, at the time. And, you know, we sort of stayed in touch. She basically just, you know, saw what I was doing online and all that stuff. And out of nowhere, a year and a bit later, she just messaged me on WhatsApp um, and she was like, you know, I'm I'm organizing the TEDx in Luxembourg. Um, and this year's theme is all about exploring, exciting. Um, and, you know, we think it, you'd be a great guest uh, to speak. Would you like to do it? Um, and at first I didn't think it was legitimate. It was a joke, um, you know, because like, yeah, I just it just it was so casual the way it happened. And then, uh, and then, but you know, then of course, all the like the team got involved, and you know, all the in proper, proper invites came. But the caveat to that was that there was only six weeks to go before the talk. Oh, that's not long. Because having prepared for my own TEDx talk, I had mm. about four months, and well, and I rehearsed it like every single day. So four, six yeah. weeks is not long. No, and and I and I'm and and you know, and um, I'd love to hear how your experience was. But for me, it was it was absolutely, you know, it was the most pressurized thing in the, I think I'd ever been through because basically with my lifestyle and what I was doing, those six weeks happened to be the beginning of summer, like basically May, um, just before May. And so essentially I had all of these gigs. I, every single week I was in a different country. I was in six different countries in those six weeks between Africa, America, Ibiza. Like it was just absolutely nuts. So on the one hand, you can't stop your life and like be like, I've got this talk now. And like, let me just clear the calendar and just focus on this As much thing. as you'd like to do that. Yeah. 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 So, so it was really tough, I, you know, thinking about what and I had definitely, you know, I, there was so much I wanted to say, obviously there's a time pressure. And then also on top of that, the talk happened to be in the Philharmonic Hall of Luxembourg. And so being a musician, you know, I was like, I hundred percent want music to be a part of my speech. Um, and they were like, Hyundai would love for me to do that. But of course it means you don't have the full 18 minutes, then you you have like 13 or however many minutes you want to put And the they're music super then. strict about that 18 minutes. Like you cannot go over the the 18 minutes. Is it not, it has to be longer than 12, but no longer than 18? Something exactly like, yeah, exactly yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that added a huge pressure point um, as well. So Anyways, um, I kind of, I was just going back and forth with the whole, like, what do I talk about? How do I link music and motorsport? What what are the sort of, you know, the driving factors? And actually, I was in Dubai at one point during no all of this. Yeah, and um, and I, I was out there and I was doing a Formula 3 um, event. And uh, and I was, I you know, basically I was on the plane. And at this point, there was maybe not more than three to two weeks left to go. 
and I was on the plane and I was like, oh my God, I like literally just don't, I just don't have it. I don't know what it is, um, the talk. And I was looking back at these pictures and there was this picture I could see um, that I, I'd taken, someone had taken. And so I'm sitting in this, F, in this F3 car and there's this, and you know, I've got my helmet on. So you can't obviously tell what that person looks like or anything. And behind me, there's this, um, there's this, uh, an advert and you, you've probably seen this advert before. It's, it says, don't crack under pressure by Tag, Tag here. And I don't know what it was, but suddenly I just, it, it had, I had like a brainwave moment. And I realized that basically I have this uh, like learning difficulty called um, dyspraxia, which is a motor coordination delay. And I suppose up until that moment with the TED talk, I'd never really gone into in depth. How had that affected me? Because suddenly all of these years had just, my diagnosis happened when I was 15. After that was my GCSEs, my A-levels. After that was uni. And after that, it was like this crazy DJ experience. Um, and my life just passed by. And I, and I, when I had got my diagnosis, it was never like, this is what it is. And here's help. It was like, this is what it is. You get some extra time in exams and that's basically it. So, um, so I just sort of had to navigate that for myself. Um, and, and being in two very motor coordinated industries. And so then I realized this is, this is what the talk was going to be about because the psychologist at the time had told me to keep up with the educational system that I was in. I basically, found ways to rewire my brain to understand and to stay like with the system and not to get chucked out of school because I didn't understand certain things. So that was where the light bulb moment hit me. It was like, okay, how did I do that? And this could make a really interesting talk. And it was all then about going deeper into the principles of motorsport and the principles of music and going out of your comfort zone. And, and really that was the talk. And then I really wrote the whole thing and I had one week less than that to memorize it. And also fine-tune the musical performance as well. So it was, and I didn't sleep. I don't know about you, but I didn't, I couldn't sleep the night before my performance. It was just so nerve-wracking. It was. I was so nervous. And I, and I remember actually that we did a, like a run through because you go up and you've got the red dot. So I think it was the day before or on the day or whatever, we had to go and do a run through and I did the run through perfectly. And I've looked back at the video of when I've done the actual one and the mm. first 15 seconds like I am shaking in my Manolos like I remember <laughs> my heart was like like I'm pointing now for those that can't see but I'm pointing in my neck it was here um mm. and then after maybe a minute or so I got into my groove and I remembered it and it came more naturally and then I was in it but that first minute was I, no, I don't want to repeat that again. <laughs> but all yeah. of that is, it was one of the main reasons that I'd said I would do it because it was going to get me out my comfort zone. And for years, I was very note driven. Mm. So whenever I did a workshop or a, a, a presentation or a keynote, I would always have notes and I would always have it word for word. And I'd get so annoyed at myself when maybe I'd miss a word out. I'd be like, that wasn't as good. But mm. that really taught me because you have no notes, 18 minutes. Yeah. It, yeah. it got me out of my comfort zone to go, hey, you don't need notes. And now I don't use notes at all. Very rarely. Mm. Like I'll maybe have a note card with a couple of points. So it was a great mm. learning mm. experience. And where was the tour? It was actually in Dubai. So it was TEDx, Jess. It was one of the schools. And I'd known the teacher at the school for maybe, I don't know, 15 years maybe maybe 13 years and and she knew I was in business and I think had always sort of followed me and I remember her being around in my very early days in business and um you know telling her all my dreams and hopes which none of them I had you know I'd, I'd accomplished it was so early on and 13 years later she's like I'm putting together a TEDx talk I'd love for you to be part of it, it the 
the topic was time. And she said, we'd love for you to talk about time and dresses and fashion and mm. and how it's mm. changed throughout the the decades. And I was like, I don't really want to talk about that. And, and that didn't get my groove going because that mm. wasn't personal. It wasn't a story that there was a lesson in it. That was more just like doing a bit of research. And I had just read a book called Life in Half a Second by Matthew can't remember. I'm going to put it in the notes, actually, for anyone who mm. wants to read it. Brilliant book. And it was all based on the concept of time. And because I'd read mm. that book, I had done something in my life that had changed. And I talked about that experience. So I loved wow, it. Wow, that sounds great. I definitely need to go and watch that. <laughs> we'll we'll exchange TEDx talk links yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. as we kind of wrap up there. Is there anything that, you know, maybe you'd like to share or... And a question I ask quite a lot in in the podcast is, is there a myth you'd like to debunk in your industry? Um, Mm. Is there anything that anyone that maybe the DJ or the motorsports or even business or podcasting or? Yeah, I think I think probably more so DJing. I think, um, yeah, people do have a lot of misconceptions of what (laughs) that's all like. And, you know, uh, and uh, it's, you know, it is a crazy life, but it's. I think for me, being a sports person, it, it puts into perspective how much you need your health and your body to work mm. for you when you're performing at the limit. And I think that's some one of the biggest things that I've learned. You know, is 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 really putting that as a as a focus in your twenties. You don't think about it so much. Your body's different. You know, uh, you can get away with a lot more, but then <laughs> as you start getting older, it just sort of changes. So I think. I think that's the one thing that I would always, you know, is always to just be non-negotiable about that is to put that every single day at your, you know, your morning routine, your evening routine, getting that daily walk in just for your own mental clarity is so important. Um, And also then going, supporting local artists is also, I would always say that, but you know, it's, it's, it's so important, especially when someone's going out there and, and creating their own, like as an artist today, it's not just about DJing. It's not just about producing music, which two, two, both things are so different anyway, but it's about, you know, understanding the legal aspects, understanding your finances. Mm. It's the, you know, the graphic design, the press, like it's, you have to wear 20 different hats and somewhere within that, a small part of it is actually being a musician. Um, so I think part of it is also, you know, when you do have a favorite artist or you support or you see someone that you like, just just support them, go and buy their track because it really makes the world of difference. And um, yeah, that that I think it would be the message I'd love to share. Thank you so much. So where can we, first of all, listen to your tracks? Are you on Spotify or is it SoundCloud or is it both? Yes, uh, I'm on SoundCloud at the moment. So it's, uh, it's soundcloud.com forward slash DJ hyphen ninja. Um, and yeah, you can hear all my stuff there. I will be releasing some music soon um, and that will be on Spotify, but it won't be till next year. So um, at SoundCloud till then. Perfect. And where can people find out about you, your business, the pop-up retreats and just learn a little bit more and, and watch your TEDx talk. So where does all that host? Mm, sure, sure. So the TEDx um, is, is uh, yeah, just type YouTube, um, uh, TED, Far and Angie, I'm sure it will come up. Or it's the, the the actual title of the talk was rewiring your brain um, through music and motorsport. Um, so that that's that's or rewiring dyspraxia through the brain. Sorry, through music and motorsport. So that's that's the title. Um, in terms of the motorsport stuff, so uh, yeah, you can kind of check that out at regents-racing.com. That's where some of that sits. Um, the stuff I mentioned about the corporate retreats 
we've had to put a little pause on it because of COVID, just because of mm. the landscape of everything. But that's um, under a different brand called the Formula Mind, which is um, yeah currently sort of going to be launched hopefully next year when when it's safer to meet because. As you can imagine, these are not retreats you want to be doing on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, you um, miss half the fun. I love the sound of the Land Rover <laughs> driving, <laughs> you know, that concept of actually really relying on mm. clear instructions. I, I think it would just be awesome. It's great. Yeah. And just to turn that around as well, they also um, they also change some of the suspension. So once you've done it once, the next time you do it, when you turn right, it actually turns left. So it really plays... <laughs> <laughs> a trick on your brain <laughs> um, which is actually hilarious to see people doing it but um yeah so that's really where it is podcasters at mission makers on apple spotify um all of the usual platforms um and that's yeah that's my my digital awesome <laughs> well thank you so much for taking the time um sharing some really valuable tips and i i you know i just love learning people's stories and what they've learned and how we can kind of adopt that into our daily um, moments of improving ourselves to be a better version. So thank you so much, Farah. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. No, thanks a lot for having me on the show, Kelly. And uh, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed our chat. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for being here and listening to this episode today. Were you inspired? What was one takeaway that you're going to know what that really resonated with me? I really want to hear from you. Head over to Instagram. I love to hang out there. Kelly Lundberg official. Drop me a DM. Tell me the best part or even better screen share it and um, share it with a friend and inspire them too. We are growing weekly and it's all down to you. Thank you so much. Reviewer of the week left this message. Great interview with three inspiring entrepreneurs. Well worth the listen. Lots learned and the story of Tish Tash was full of interest. From Agony60, thank you so much. So please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast. It really does make a massive difference. Until next time, be inspired and keep following your dreams.